Okay, so the Torah portion this week is the Midbar in the wilderness. We're not actually going to speak from that. Um, it's really good, though, if you haven't read it. Um, I've spoken from it before. Basically, it covers where, um, how the tribes are arranged when they're in the wilderness around the tabernacle, which is really interesting to note because uh, if, you, if you have that in the back of your mind, then things that happen later on... Um, it plays into who's next to who in some of the rebellions. Yeah, it's recording, yeah. And um, so, but today we're actually going to speak from uh, Romans chapter 9. So if you want to go to Romans chapter 9, we're basically going to go through this chapter. Um, because it's really important. One, it's just great in where I was reading. Um, but two, because it's really important in... in um, because basically, so we'll start with a little bit of background. So Paul, when you, when you read the New Testament, and you read particularly Paul's books, and you read in, in Romans, you have to keep in mind that it's written to congregation in Rome, which sounds simple enough, but you have to keep that in the back of your mind. So here's Paul, who was educated in the finest yeshivas of the day. He, was, he excelled. He knew, obviously knows and knew the scripture by heart, and he was very fervent for uh, the word in the system in which he was in, which was the pharisaical system of the day, uh, so much so that he was persecuting the believers because he thought they were in error. Because what had happened during the first century is you had, uh, you had a power play. First off, they were uh, being ruled by, by, uh, uh, by Rome of the day. And by the Romans. And so they uh, were basically subject to them. Israel was at the time. And then you had corruption within the leadership of the Jewish people. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees controlled the temple, which was essentially, you know, they were essentially an arm of the Roman leadership of the day. And they, you know, they were colluded. colluded together. Yeah. And, uh... The Pharisees, they also had different beliefs, and the Pharisees didn't like them, but they tended to control, the Pharisees tended to control the local synagogues, essentially. And so what happened with the everyday people's lives? And it was during this time from, uh, from basically Ezra up until the first century where you had a lot of the beginnings of um, uh, the oral Torah start to come into uh, play in the lives of the people. And so you had this rise of traditions that took precedent over what even the scriptures uh, said. Because you have to remember, during this time, nobody, nobody had their own personal Bible sitting on the shelf at home. You went to the local synagogue to hear, to hear it read, and then you did what your leaders told you to do, which, which is the right model. And that's why God and the prophets get so raging mad at the leaders, because as the leaders tell the people, so the people are supposed to do, but if the leaders are doing the wrong thing, and the people do the wrong thing, then it's all whole, this picture gets all screwed up and ruined. And so, that's the political background of everything that's happening. And so, there's also still believers, uh, you know, Jews and Gentiles, the scattered tribes that are all over the world at this point. And so, Paul is writing to the congregation of Rome, which is very much like today, where we are, and he, it's amazing because the, the same issues that he addresses in here are 
the same issues we're dealing with today in the church and with Judaism, with Messianic movement, and it's all these same to topics. And I think it's it's the crucial topic, and that that being, you know, who is Israel? Who is God's chosen? Uh, how does God choose them? How are they supposed to function? Um, you know, because you're dealing, he's dealing with, you have to understand too, that when Paul's writing this, there, there is no New Testament floating around. He is drawing principles out of the scriptures and showing uh, through history and through what the scriptures have written, everything that's happened and is happening with the uh, ingathering in the exiles, what Yeshua was coming to do to unify his people and to reunite them under him because he was the Messiah. And so Paul is addressing a lot of uh, issues of the day. Um, namely, one of them being that the Jews of the day saw themselves, and it's still true today, that they saw themselves as having a place in the kingdom because of their Jewish heritage and their lineage. If you're a Jew, you are part of the kingdom. You're part of the club. Um, and, and he goes on to debunk that um, using, um, using the scriptures, which we'll go through. So I wanted to go through a little bit of the, the history and the background of what's going on. So he's writing to these believers in Rome. There's a whole lot of paganism. There's a whole lot of turmoil. They're coming from all different backgrounds. Um, there's a lot of Gentiles that are in, in, in this community. There's questions. Because, again, too, keep in mind, for a Gentile to become part of the kingdom at, at this day and age, you had to go through a specific conversion ceremony, uh, which, which they said made you Jewish. Which then, because now you are Jewish, you're in the kingdom. And he goes on to say, basically, no, just because you're, you're Jewish or just because you're from Israel doesn't make you part of the kingdom automatically. All right, so let's go through this. And um, it's a decent amount to cover, but it's just, um, it's so important. Okay, so, uh, verse 1. I say the truth in Messiah, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness of, uh, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from the Messiah for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So first thing you have to ask is, okay, why is he sorrowful? Why is he wishing himself that he could be a curse from the Messiah for his brethren in the flesh? So it's important to note that he's saying his brethren in the flesh, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, who's kind of born into, or is part of the Jew, Jew, tribe of Judah at this point in time. He's saying that there's something wrong. They're not that they're not part of the kingdom. He's saying he wants them to be saved, them to be brought into covenant with God and with the Messiah so that they can actually be his chosen people because right now they're not. So he starts out with this big premise, which is reiterated beforehand, but we didn't read that. So that's his premise is that they are separated from God. Even though they are what we call in our call in nomenclature today, you'll hear people say the Jews are God's chosen people. That's actually not true. The Bible says, Israel, my chosen. And that's a very important distinction. So whenever somebody says, uh, says that, you're like, well, actually, that's not what it says. Um, because it's, 
it's important to get your terminology right in these in this particular scenario. Okay, so he's saying that the, they're separated, and he's wishing that he could be separated so that they could be brought in. So, all right, verse 4. So they, uh, who are Israelites, to which pertain the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of, of God, and the promises. Okay, so this is really important. So he's saying his brethren in the flesh who are Israelites. Um, those who which come from Jacob's loins, basically, the physical seed of Jacob. To whom pertaineth the adoption? That's really important. It's really important to understand that all who come, become children of God are adopted from Abraham and Adam to all the way till now to every single one of us. Why? Because you're a child of Adam. But you have to be a child of God. And so to be chosen, right? Because that's what happens in adoption. You pick a kid, right? And you become adopted and brought into that family. Israel is adopted. It's a very important thing to, to keep in mind. Because what Jewish people in today will say, and even in the Messianic movement, is they'll say, well, you know, if you're Jewish... You know, automatically the Torah pertains to you, or if you're Jewish, you're automatically in the covenant. But to be God's chosen Israel, you have to be adopted and chosen by Him into His family. And it's a very important uh, point. Okay, so let's keep going. So, who pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the services of God, and the promises? Okay, so again, keep in mind, all these things are for Israel the covenants. Promises, the law, the service. Okay, who, verse five. Who are the uh, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Messiah came, who is over all, God blessed forever and amen. So, whose are the fathers? In other words, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Messiah came. So he came. You know, he's an Israelite because he came through the tribe of Judah according to the flesh. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are Israel. Really important point. So, he's, so this, this verse, verse 6, ties into verse 1 because he's saying that he wishes he could be accursed so that his brethren could be brought in. So they're separated. And so he's saying, but it's not as though the word of God has taken no effect because the word of God states that his people, Israel, are his own, are chosen. And so Paul is making this distinction, though, that not all Israel is Israel just because of the blood and the genes that are in your veins. You have to be adopted. So it's all tying into this, these, these points, and there's a lot of layers to it. So, seven. He kind of continues with this point. Neither, uh, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac thy seed shall be called. Again, another really important verse. And let's go, uh, let's go read it, verse 8 too. That yeah, is, really quick. yeah. Can I just ask, um, which, um, are you K KJV? King James Version, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, verse 8. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. 
So, just because someone comes from the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob doesn't automatically put them into covenant with God. They have to be born again. They have to be adopted into this family, chosen, and then those that remain remnant in his commandments and precepts and follow the laws of their father because they have the seed, the heart of their father in them, those are the ones who are the children of promise. So he's saying, the word, it's not as though the word of God hasn't taken any effect. The word of God does take effect, is functional, is working, but it's according to how God plays it out in the life of his people, not how we think. It's not get dunked, get baptized, immersed, come up, now you're a Jew, woohoo, now you're good to go. You no, you cannot, no one can be, if you're not Jewish, you cannot become Jewish. Sorry. Now, I like Caleb, the Kenizzite, who's from Esau, he was numbered among Judah, but he was not physically Jewish. But he was sojourning with the tribe of Judah. There's nothing wrong with that. He was part of Israel, though, because he was born again, adopted by God. Just like everybody is adopted by God. Because it's not your physical lineage. And so, um, that's what the children of the promise are. So, neither, let's back up, let's read it again. Six, not as though the word of God have taken no effect. For they are not all Israel, which are Israel. In other words, what he's saying here is, Israel my chosen, those who I have picked, those who are saved, those who are adopted, out of this group of people. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Okay, so now, what is he saying by that in, the, in the Isaac? Essentially, the long and short of it is, um, Abraham had two kids. He had um, uh, Esau and Isaac. Ishmael. I'm sorry, you're right. Israel. And so, but Isaac was the child of the promise. And so, am I screwing this up? The children? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac and... and who was Esau's brother? Was it Jacob? Yeah, yeah it was Jacob and Esau. So Ishmael. Okay, yeah. it is. <laughs> I always get this screwed up. And then when you add in all the wives, it's like, good luck. No, I know. So, um, so the reason he says this, that's, that he uses this um, allegory, I guess you could say, not an allegory, a um, analogy, he uses an analogy of, of, of Isaac as opposed to Ishmael, because what was the difference? Isaac obeyed his father. Right? He had a different spirit within him, and he followed the words of his father. Ishmael did not. He uh, uh, rebelled, and he hated Isaac. And so Abraham had to send him out of the house. Because even though he had the physical lineage, and he was the firstborn of Abraham, not all the children of Abraham are children of the promise. Not all Israel is Israel. It's It's... 
whether or not you're adopted by God and you have a different spirit, you have a different seed, a different zerah, that which makes you a child of your father in you. Yeah. So, um, so again, let's, let's keep all this in mind with, with who Paul is writing to. He's writing to Rome. It's a mixture of Jewish people, Israelites of the flesh, who think that they're in because they got a shoe in because they're, well, you know, because I got the Jewish blood in my veins. And Gentiles who have come out of whatever background they've come out of, i.e. just like us, and might have been pagans. So he's going to get into that as we keep going here. So let's keep going. Otherwise, I'm not going to get anywhere. All right. Uh, okay, nine. No, so he's going to now, he's going to, uh, pontificate a little bit about this idea of uh, Isaac being the son of promise. Okay, eight. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. In other words, just because you're a child of Abraham and you have his blood in you doesn't make you a child of God. And the only way that you're in God's kingdom and God's family is you have to be his child. And so, he, he's, he's reiterating this. Nine. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah will have a son. That promise was given to, uh, to Sarah that she would bear a son. And so what happened in that story? Abraham says, man, nothing's happening. Actually, Sarah says, man, nothing's happening. says, well, why don't you take Hagar? So he takes Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant. Along comes Ishmael. What's that a picture of? Doing it your own way. It was not God's plan. So, but Abraham and, and Sarah got impatient, wondering, well, what's God doing? You know, what's going on? Well, maybe you meant for it to be this way. And guess what happens? No, it's not. But the child of promise is Isaac, which is what God does miraculously. Again, this idea of being born of God. It's something he does. That's why you're, it's a child of the covenant, a child of promise, adopted, uh, all these things. It's, it's what God does, not what we do. Okay, so, for this is the word of promise, at the time I will come, Sarah will have a son. And not only this, when Rebekah also had conceived, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that is called, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. So there's a whole lot that happens right there, because that's how Paul, he was, Paul was a, uh, he was an academic. You know, he was from, you know, Columbia University, wrote in, in stuff that most people can't understand. That's why Peter said, a lot of hard words that people don't understand, they rest them to their own destruction. So what is he saying here? He's saying, um, again, with Rebecca conceived with, uh, by Isaac, had two kids, Jacob and Esau, right? And so from the beginning in the womb, they, they wrestled in the womb. And so she said, oh, you know, what's wrong with me? How come this is going on? And he says, two nations and two people will come from your womb and the, uh, the, young, uh, the older shall serve the younger. And so you have, again, the picture typified that God chooses Israel. Jacob, Israel, my chosen, those are the promise. They are adopted by God. It's something he did in his foreknowledge and 
grace and mercy and knowledge that surpasses all of our understanding. You know, because you think about the story from just a fleshly point of view, well, why the heck does Esau get screwed? You know, what's wrong with... How come he gets the sword out of the stick? And why does God choose Jacob from the womb and not Esau? We don't know. We don't get answers to that. And Paul says, Who are you, O man, to ask the potter why he made me thus? Just shut your mouth! <laughs> Basically. But it's... And that's, this is such an important point to, 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 uh, that I want to elaborate on just a little bit. In, our, in society today... Nobody wants to submit themselves to an almighty God that tells you to do something and you don't understand why and you're supposed to do it anyway. Instead they say, well, I was with uh, someone yesterday and we were talking and he's uh, an ascribed atheist and hates religion, passion. And, um, and uh, we were talking, I forget how it came up, the difference between... Um, Oh, it was in regards to... Okay, so what they're doing with fish nowadays, and, and man began, here we go, they're doing with fish, this new thing is they have figured out a way to, while they're flash-freezing fish, they put it between these two magnets, these high-powered magnets, and it lies on all the cells. That can't be good. <laughs> you know? It's like... so. But what they found is when they do that and they freeze it, you freeze it, you unthaw it, you freeze it again, you unthaw it, you freeze it, and it, it never gets freezer burned. What? <laughs> oh, all right, you know. You know, how, what we do to, you know, things and screw things up and then wonder why we have problems. I mean, give me a break. Where was I going with this? Oh, so he was, he was saying he'd be... Um, he was saying, you know, maybe we could do that with us and then wake us back up. I'm like, no, you're going to die. And you're going to be dead. And I said... And the difference between uh, the difference between animals, you may be able to do that with animals. And may, I don't know, maybe you can wake them back up. All the frogs freeze, certain frogs freeze, right? And they come back to life. But the difference is, and I told them, animals have a spirit. But the difference between animals and people is this: animals. I got to point to this. A, uh, people have a spirit breathed from God, and we're made in Him as image. There's a difference there. Oh, how that is not freaking evident, I don't know understand but so his response is well how come the animals get screwed <laughs> and there it was right there right rebellion and hate why does the nations rage and they hate god because why god made things work in a certain way and it's there and we're just like those stupid kids saying i don't want to do that how come you why you know and god's just like oh. <laughs> Back of my hand. Yeah. And so, where was I going with all this? Oh, so he's saying, oh, because we would think, say, well, why does poor Esau get screwed? How come Ishmael gets kicked out? It wasn't his, you know, he didn't want to be, you know, he didn't have anything in anything to do with being born, right? Somehow, God, in His knowledge and His uh, mercy and grace and and Perfection knows all things. And so he chooses some and rejects others. And that's how it goes. But it's an important concept to understand because that's what makes his children his children. He chooses them. He goes to the orphanage 
And he picks that one, and he picks that one, and he picks that one. Now you're my kids. And he adopts them. And so that's what happened with Jacob and with Isaac. They were children of the promise. He chose them to be his own. There was a different heart in them so that they chose to follow their fathers and then pass that down to their children. And so that's what it means when he's talking about you know, children of the promise and he's using this analogy. So, what shall we say then in verse 14? Is there unrighteousness with God? Halila, God forbid. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, is it not of him that willeth? So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Again, this is all really important because what he's saying is you can't do anything to get into this family. It's God who chooses and picks you. So you can't get converted and become Jewish of your own might and then now you're ping, into the family and you can't do anything good enough to be in the family. You got oh God, you could be the best kid in the orphanage, but God has to still come in and pick you. And you can uh, make up your own ceremony to be, you know, I do this, that, and X, Y, and Z, and now I'm God's son, and you're still in the orphanage, and you're saying, No, I'm your son. And he says, No, you're not. No, unless I pick you. And it's really important because. The same thing's happening today. There are messy, Jewish messianic conversions that you can go through to become Jewish. This is not biblical, and it distorts the picture of God's redemption of his people. And it's wrong. And it needs to be forsaken and repented of. Amen. Because now we're leading a whole, you know, how many people, how many families, how many kids are in these congregations who are growing up and seeing this and thinking, you know, and they're just effing them all up. You know? And create more chaos. Because people don't read their freaking Bibles. You know? They, anyway. All right. Okay, so he said, uh, Mercy on whom he uh, has mercy on. 17. For the scripture said unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared unto all the earth. So we don't know why God chooses to do what he does, but he does for because the end purpose is his name will be magnified in the earth. 18. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will be uh, on whom he will he hardeneth. Wilt thou say that unto me? Why does he find yet fault? For who has resisted his will? In other words, you know, how can he find fault? Well, someone who he's not chosen. Uh, 20. Nay. <laughs> I just love that. But, oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it? Why has me you made me thus? 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay and in the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessel of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore pre, uh, pre, pre, prepared unto glory? Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles? 
So now he's going to, so he, he kind of took a departure there to explain, but it was very important to explain God's election, those who he chooses to show who his people are, to show that he can choose some from the loins of Abraham, or he can choose some from the loins of whoever, whatever, wherever floating around out there. But it's he who chooses them, and then makes them his people. And so he's saying, so he can call them out of the Jews, or he can call them out of the Gentiles. And then he's going to quote from here uh, Hosea, which is very provocative, because when, and if you go back and you read Hosea, Hosea is speaking to the scattered Israel, who, for all intents and purposes, are Gentiles. Because why? Because they're not chosen, and so they go and they mix in amongst all, everybody, whoever, wherever, and become a people who are not a people, and then he calls them out of them. You know, it, it, it's, it's really not that complicated, actually. But because of all the errant theories and, and ways that we try to bend and massage things and, and uh, the pride of man that wants to be something more special than you are, uh, distorts God's picture. Because what happened was, Israel who he chose out of the loins. There is physical Israel according to the flesh, as he says. But not all Israel is Israel. So within that group of people who have the blood lineage of Abraham, of Jacob, of Israel, there are those who actually choose to obey. And it's like that in every family, right? There's some kids who choose to obey, and there's some kids who don't choose to obey. They're still tanners, but one is... Living according to the instructions of the Father, because he has a heart that wants to, and the other isn't. And so, who actually is representing the family? The one who obeys the Father and has the heart of the Father, keeps the commandments. Okay. And you can't keep the commandments to get into the family. That's the other important thing. To be a part of the family, you have to get chosen by the parent, and that's something they do, and you have no part of that. Something God does for us, well, we can't keep the commandments to get into the, uh, into the family. You can keep the commandments, and there'll be blessings from keeping those commandments, uh, and you will reap blessings from that, but that doesn't make you part of the family. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what ends up happening is because, because you're not part of the family, you don't have the same intention and the same spirit of the Father in you, you end up distorting it a bit because you're not actually hearing and learning from the Father. It's hard. I.e. oral Torah. Whatever you want. Where were we? Okay, so, okay. Even us who they have called, and not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. As he said also unto Osi, which is Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. That comes from Hosea 2.23. And there, in Hosea, he's talking about uh, Israel, who gets scattered all over the nations, and he rejects them, but then he will choose his, them back. And, and uh, what's interesting is Paul's referring to the Gentiles as these people. And so those who are Israel, who are brought in, who are going to be these brought back in scattered tribes are Israel through adoption. 
whatever your lineage is, whether you have some random floating gene of Naphtali or Gad or whatever, it's irrelevant. Okay. And 26. And it shall come to pass in that place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people. There shall they be called children of the living God. And that's exactly us right here today. It was in Rome when Paul was writing to them that those who are not his people will be called his people in the land where they were scattered and rejected. Now they are chosen back out of, which is what, which was what uh, Moses said. When you turn and change your heart from all the lands where God has scattered and you call on him and you turn back to him, there he will hear you and will gather you back. 27. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Because that's exactly, if you could actually figure out genetically who, you know, Israel, how many they are, there's probably millions and millions and millions and millions, right? But it's the remnant that will be saved. And again, that, that remnant word is important because remnant means those who remain will remain in what? Well, we're told. In his ways and commandments. And why do they remain in his ways and commandments? Because they have the promised seed in them. And they follow. And, and, and that promised seed is Yeshua, is the Messiah. Because it was prophesied that he would come and save his people Israel. And that he would gather them back unto himself. And that is what that unifying factor is. It is Yeshua, it is the Messiah, because he is God, and he is God's plan for saving his people from themselves, because of their sins have separated them from him. Luke, yeah? Quick question. 2027, 20, and I see it's also referenced in 29 again. It's Isaiah, which is Isaiah. Isaiah, yeah, it's okay. Isaiah. Yeah, yep. So a remnant shall be saved. You wouldn't happen to know the specific passages, yeah. Where he's referencing in Isaiah? Yeah, yeah, I can give you those okay. after. Yeah. 28. Uh, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. That's also in Isaiah. 29. And as I say, as I said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed. We had been as Sodom, and we had been like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles... So he's, he's predicting the questions that are going through these people's minds. Because he's basically writing to people exactly like us, who are in the diaspora, that are Gentiles, but some are Jewish. And he's saying, well, wait a minute. And he knows that he's stabbing a screwdriver into their brains. And so he's, he's trying to clarify for them. So what shall we say then? That the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, had not attained to the law of righteousness? Wherefore? How come? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law. Like I said, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, which is what God does. The works of the law is you hear the instructions. If I wanted to be one of uh, Eric's kids, and so uh, Eric's got this list that he puts on the refrigerator that says this is the law of the house, the, the thing, the rules of the home that hung above the, the, the in the bathroom. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> 
the rules of this house. If you spill it, clean it up. So I could do all those rules, right, in Eric's house, and I could come in there, and I could eat there, but that doesn't make me one of your kids, right? You have to, there's a legal process that happens to happen. You have to adopt me. So he's saying, well, wait a minute. How is it that Gentiles who don't do anything get to come in? But the Israel who's, you know, tried to do all these commandments and they've worked real hard and look like they're really righteous and pious and they have phylacteries and long tzitzit and they're wrapping themselves in a prayer shawl. They're not in and they're not part of the club. Why? Because it has to be a faith, which is in the Messiah, which only God can do. So, how come? Because they sought it not in faith, verse 32. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, which is Yeshua. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So he's saying that there is this... uh, The, the Yeshua is basically the monkey wrench in it all. He is the stumbling stone and a rock of an offense to those who have not believed. But he's the chief cornerstone to those who have believed. Which is exactly what the Torah is. It's a blessing to those who believe, and it's a curse and a law of death unto those who don't believe. Because... If you're trying to keep it to be in the family, you can't. So all it does is curse you. Curse is a man who does not keep the words of this law. But if you are born again, part of the kingdom, built into the Torah, are provisions for your falling short and your disobedience. And you're redeemed already by the blood of the Lamb. That happens before you get to Mount Sinai and you get the instructions. You do the instructions because you're part of the family, not to be part of the family. And so that's what children of faith are, which faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, which is something that God does and chooses. Israel, who pertaineth the adoption. It's really important concepts that are little blips in these verses, but are so important. And when you put it into the context of who Paul was writing to in Rome with a mixture of Jews who came from uh, the prominent religious system of the day in Phariseeism, and then you have pagans coming out of every mix of every background you can imagine, just like today, there's a whole lot of confusion. And so that's why he's writing all these things and pulling these principles out of the scriptures, which are evident as a whole, and putting it pretty succinctly for them. But it's predicated on a knowledge of the scriptures because they didn't do PowerPoints on doctrine of salvation. You know, they didn't do PowerPoints on faith or grace or mercy or any of these things. They were built into the stories of the lives of the forefathers and how God worked in their lives. And it's woven in and through and in every layer of these stories. And so that's how he can go through Hosea and Isaiah and Malachi and Genesis and Exodus and pull these things out so that 
to, to draw us back to the simplicity of what it was supposed to be. Because it's always complicated by sin and what men begin to do. And so these Gentiles are now brought in and have always been brought in and have been adopted. And he's clarifying and saying, no, you're adopted even if you're of the loins of Abraham. And you're adopted if you're of the line of Rome or you're a Roman or a Greek or whatever. And you're adopted. And it's brought in by faith. And those who, uh, who, who stumble, they stumble at what? Because you know, that's what happened, exactly, right? You know, the Jewish leadership of the day, they stumbled at Yeshua. And he were offended because of him. And so he was a stumbling stone of offense. And uh, because they didn't want to follow him. Because why? Because they were not already transformed in their heart. They really didn't believe God. They didn't have the faith of Abraham. They weren't saved. Otherwise, they would have followed him and trusted him. But they had created their own system, which he came and, and was just lambasting and just axing it left and right and tearing them to shreds. And that's why they hated him and wanted him dead. That's why he gave the parable of like the vineyard, you know, with the um, leased out his vineyard, which is a picture of Israel, <laughs> To, to, uh, to people that work it and to till it, i.e. those who were the religious leadership of the day. And they, uh, they didn't take care of it, and so he sends his servant, they kill him. They finally send the son, they kill him. And what does the you know, owner do? He comes and kills him, whacks him, wipes him. So, so if you're the Jewish leadership of the day, listen to this guy claiming to be a Messiah tell you this. I mean, you're just ripping mad. You know, you want him dead. Because he's messing everything up. Instead of, and so he makes them stumble. Instead of seeing, knowing their scriptures, not adding to, not taking away from, to serve your own self, which is happening again today. Instead, allowing yourself to be humbled because you're an adopted son and just trying to obey so that then God can work in and through you for His glory, so that then when the Messiah comes, you can receive Him, because you're already simple and humble, and not all puffed up with your own pride of your, you know, following. Alright, let's read a little bit into 10, and then we'll, we'll finish up. So brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Again, not all Israel is Israel. For I, in other words, they're not saved, right? For I bear them record that they have a seal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believes. Now, it's not as we've traditionally interpreted that there. Um, Messiah is the end of the law. Now they clip that half section of verse out and say, look at there, it's done, so why are you with? It's completely out of context. It's in, when you put it back into its context, it says something entirely different. So let's go back and read it again. Starting at verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a seal of God, but not according to knowledge. So in other words, Israel that's not saved has a zeal 
uh, a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They don't know. <clears throat> For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So they created their own way of gaining righteousness, not God's righteousness. Right, exactly. Uh, the oral law, a system of measures that you can be uh, established right, or just the fact that you're born into it and you're good to go, and as long as you don't do anything too bad, you won't get kicked out. That's your own system of righteousness. Whereas God says, no, only I take away your sins and establish righteousness and, and choose you, are adopted. For Messiah is the end, or you could say the goal of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believes for Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. In other words, again, you can't... They, they're, they're meant to give you life. They're meant to give life to those children who are children already. They're not meant to uh, get you into the kingdom. For Messiah is the goal for the righteousness. And so in other words, if they haven't submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God i.e. they haven't submitted themselves unto the goal of the right of righteousness, which is Messiah. That makes sense? So they have stumbled at the stumbling block, not submitting themselves unto the righteousness of God, which is the Messiah. They have submitted themselves to their own standard, which they have set up for themselves. Well, it's funny you had mentioned that, you know, they'll, they'll cherry-pick this verse 4 to yep. use... Right, so it's where it's done away. You have to read the next verse, and then the context clearly defines exactly what's being said. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> right. So, uh, the man that says these things shall live by them. Have, and that, that is, that's often turned and flipped around to be a negative. Well, the man that does them will have to live by them. No. <laughs> if you go back and read the context of that verse, it is that the shall live, shall have life from living them. In other words, if you keep my commandments, I'll bless you. And it'll rain and you'll get food and you'll eat and you won't die. That's what it means. Six. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, saying, Not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Messiah down from above. Who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Messiah again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth and thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou wilt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Yeshua, and have believed in the heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So there's a whole bunch there that we're not going to really crack into. Uh, but again, he's taking them back to uh, Sinai and back to Moses, who's in, in that when he's saying, um, and he says, Messiah, who, who has ascended into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down from above, or descended into the deep, that is to bring up Messiah again from the dead. When you go back to the actual, the actual, because um, Paul's teaching us from this. When you go back to the actual passage, it's it's referring to the Torah. Who has this? Uh, the the law is nigh unto your lips that you may do it and teach it to your children and have life. It's not so far up into heaven that says who shall go up and get it. It's not across the sea or in the depths that say who will go and bring it to us. But it is nigh on your lips is the passage that you may do it and have life. And so is Messiah. He's not out there. He's not up above. But it's nigh unto your lips. <laughs> and that is this, this idea of 
of, of faith. It's something God does. So, all right. We can keep going, but it takes a long Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for uh, the truth of it. I thank you that we have the writings of Paul that you gave us to clarify uh, so many of the confusion that you knew what was taking place and is taking place now of your scriptures and how it's been distorted, but that you are restoring it unto us and clarifying who your people are, who your people always have been, that it's always been through you and through the Messiah interceding on our behalf to take away our sins and to cleanse us, to adopt us, to give us a new heart and spirit that we, we may be children of the promise that live according to your word and 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 uh, show forth you in the world that we are in. And so I just thank you for this word and just ask that you would um, burn it into our hearts and minds that we may spread it to those who we come in contact with and be a light. And uh, I thank you for this Shabbat and this time and place to even gather here and that you have chosen us, Father. I pray that we would uh, continue to crucify our own flesh and live out your word, which is life, uh, and that uh, you may bless. And I just ask and pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.